Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 191. Today is June 20th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder, money manager, and investablewealth.com. Well, in this episode, I don't want to talk about current markets. I want to dedicate the theme of this episode to a discussion about the European Union and specifically what I think is a severe structural problem within the EU. And this is irregardless of whether the United Kingdom decides to exit or remain within the EU. This is more about a long-term structural problem than anything to do with the headlines that you've been reading and what's currently going on with the vote that takes place this week on the 23rd. So you haven't heard me talk a lot about the what's being called the, the Brexit or the Great Britain exit from the European Union because I felt that it's basically just headline hype and frankly, I become tired and bored of all this. If you remember last year, uh, we had similar discussions around how the media and the press was hyping whether Greece would leave the union or stay in it or whether they'd go bankrupt or whether they'd default. And you remember at that time, I said that it's all irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The only two things that really mattered then are the same two things that matter now. And that's the U.S. economy and the Chinese economy. Those are the two largest economies in the world. Those are the two economies that at this point matter the most. Now, while it's true that collectively the European Union is about the same size as the U.S., what you have to remember is, and, and this is going to be the, the essence of what I talk about today, it's not a single country. It's a trade agreement, which is not unlike NAFTA. So if you want to lump the EU together and say that, oh, it's the same size as the U.S. economy, then at a minimum, you have to lump North America together and take Mexico and the U.S. and Canada. And at a minimum, you may be at that point maybe comparing apples to apples. I would argue you still have to tie in not only those two other countries, but basically, in, in effect, all the countries that the United States has fairly free and open trade agreements with and add up all those economies and then compare it against the EU. It has nothing to do with geography. It has everything to do with trade agreements. And so in any case, that's why I know a lot of you have asked me about the Brexit. I've pretty much ignored it. You have to remember that although I consider myself an active trader, I'm not someone that day trades, nor do I trade the headlines. I'm not interested in making a trade over a period of minutes or hours or even really days for that matter. Generally, I'm taking a position, you know, it could be for a few days, but ultimately I like to trade for weeks or months. You know, so a couple weeks or three months, I think that's a really good holding period. Obviously, depending upon how the trade goes, I may do it shorter than that or I may hold it longer than that. But my optimum preference is a couple weeks to say three months. I think that's really how markets turn, and if you're going to swing trade or look for those trends, that's the kind of time period that I think is long enough that it forgives any mistakes you would make or any um, timing issues you would have, because Reno is all about timing. And if you're day trading, you're trading over a period of minutes or seconds or hours. If you get that trade wrong, then your margin of error is very slim. If, on the other hand, you're trading over weeks or months, and your timing's off a little bit, well, you can make up for it. It's not as catastrophic. And so I've built my wealth not by trying to get rich quick or by trying to get rich quick overnight, but by taking a slow, methodical approach and building my wealth over years and, in fact, over decades. To paraphrase Mark Twain, I'm much more concerned about the return of my principal than the return on my principal. 
And so that's why I move cautiously, especially in this very much central bank malinvestment bubble economy that we find ourselves in right now. Ah, but enough of that. I'm digressing. Let's get back to the, the European Union. Now, here's the bottom line, and here's the message I want to get across. The European Union is structurally flawed. And unless they change the structure of the union, which is they are trying to do, it's trying to creep in incrementally and become more of a federal government than simply a union. But that wasn't the original public goal. Uh, it may have been the desire of the, elite, of the elites all along, but that wasn't how it was sold to the individual people in the membership countries. Now, they were told uh, that they could remain sovereign and independent. But that's the, that's the flaw of the EU. And unless that's resolved, then I believe that the union will eventually fail. And I'm not saying it's going to fail tomorrow or next week. Remember, the Soviet Union, putting aside its political and its other ideologies, the reason it came to an end is because it violated market principles. And so it eventually fell apart, but it took 70 years. If the European Union doesn't mend its ways, it will likewise eventually fall apart. Now, don't send me hate mail. Don't tell me that I'm xenophobic or U.S.-centric, because I'm going to tell you the same thing about the U.S. economy. Our current economic path and trajectory is flawed. It violates market-based principles. It's progressively getting worse for you know at least the last 100, 120 years. And likewise, this system will eventually fail unless structural changes are not made. Now, again, will that be next week? No, I don't think so. Could it be in seven years or 70 years? I have no way of knowing. But my study of history tells me that any system that violates market principles is just like you know, a comparative system that violates the laws of physics. You can get away with it as long as you're willing to put up with the inefficiencies and basically fund those inefficiencies. So, for example, if you have a mechanical system that ignores the law of gravity, as long as you keep putting energy in that system, to make up for the difference in the impact that gravity is having on your mechanical system, well, it will keep working. And so likewise, the Soviet Union, the United States economic system, the European Union, the Chinese or the Japanese systems, they all will keep on working to the degree that they violate the principles of market systems as long as somewhere in that system the difference is made up. And it's made up with hidden costs such as you know, inefficiencies or devaluations of currency or balance sheet engineering. It's not exactly like a Ponzi scheme, but that's a good way to kind of illustrate the point. The Ponzi scheme keeps on working as long as there is always new money coming into the system. So they all fail. It's just a question of when. Ah, but I'm digressing again. Let's focus on the matter at hand, and that's that the way I see it, there's this one major structural flaw. Now, there could be others, but there's one that's insurmountable. And unless the European Union becomes more encroaching and becomes more of a federal system like we have in the United States, the economic union will fail. And whether Greece stays in or out or the United Kingdom stays in or out or whether Turkey comes in or out of the union or whether the Netherlands decides to stay, I mean, none of that ultimately will matter because there's a major inefficiency that's occurring and like a cancer it's slowly eating away at the trade organization and that's really what I want you to think about because that's what the, e the that's what the EU is it's a European Union trade organization and while many people will compare the EU to the United States in fact it should be compared to NAFTA 
the North American Free Trade Agreement. And the reason NAFTA has worked all these years and why it continues to work is because it's made up of three individual sovereign nations which control their own rules and regulations within their borders, they control their own debt, they issue their own currency. And then, as best as can occur, they have a fairly efficient market-based trading system between the three countries. So Mexico, the United States, and Canada are all three sovereign countries, and most importantly, they have three distinct and different currencies. That's not the case with the European Union. With the exception of a few member states, like the United Kingdom, all the other countries share a common currency, that's the euro. One of the reasons why it would be easier for Great Britain to leave the Union than for, say, the Netherlands to leave the EU is because the EU has kept its own currency. And so that's one less hurdle that it would have to overcome if it decides to go out on its own. Now remember, if Great Britain did leave the EU, and again, that's not what this episode's about. In fact, by the time many of you listen to this episode, the decision will have been made. But if Great Britain did decide to leave the EU, that doesn't mean that it couldn't continue to trade with member states, just as Switzerland isn't a member of the EU, but a great deal of its GDP is derived from trading both imports and exports with member countries of the European Union. And so as, as far as the fatal flaw goes with the European Union, it has to do with the common currency. You see, the fact that the euro is the accepted currency in Italy and Spain and Portugal and the Netherlands and France and Germany, that's the problem. It's not the trade agreement. It's not the overreach of the EU bureaucrats. It's not all the meddling. The bottom line problem is the common currency. And that's really the reason that it was sold to the people that, that it would work is that, hey, we can get away with, we can get rid of all these other currencies. We won't have these exchange rate issues. It'll make trade so much easier. But remember, trade between Canada and the United States or the United States and Mexico, it goes flawlessly even though there are different currencies involved. Free trade between two countries has nothing to do with the currencies used, particularly in a computer age, electronic uh, medium where, where we live where you don't even have to think about what the exchange rate is. Some algorithm or computer figures that a lot for you. You just you know, swipe your visa card and the transaction occurs. You don't have to think about it. The currencies are irrelevant. What's relevant is the tariffs and the barriers to trade that the governments create. And so if you want a successful trade agreement, forget about controlling the currency. What you need to control is the arbitrary and the protectionist nature of all the tariffs and taxes and the barriers that you put up to discourage trade between the two countries. The separate currencies work themselves out on a market-based system. Because remember, a key principle of money is that money is fungible. Money travels to where it's treated best. And so if you have a debt-based, low productivity, poor quality economy, your currency, regardless of what it is that you use or what you call it, it's going to be of less value than the country that is a larger exporter, a better quality producer, a more efficient producer, and a producer with higher exports that country's currency is going to be of higher value. And the market will set those prices, just like the market sets the price of Bitcoin. There's no one organization or one government body or non-government organization that does it. It's just the free trade between individuals. 
That's the way markets have always worked. That's the way markets will work. So the problem with the European Union is that they've imposed this artificial euro on the member states. And a country that's a powerhouse exporter and manufacturer like Germany benefits from this common currency because the value of the German mark, if they have their own currency, should be higher than, say, the Italian lira. That's the way it used to be because the German sovereign country had less debt, more efficient productivity, and higher exports than that of Italy. And so Germany's currency was worth more. Now, the benefit for Germany being in the European Union, you know, at least going back 20 years ago, and the reason it was all founded, was that with this common currency, Germany would have the benefit of a relatively you know, comparable weak currency, even though they should have a stronger one. And so therefore, their products would sell on even par with less efficient countries within the European Union, like Italy and Spain. And then Germany would also benefit in its exports outside the, the European Union, you know, for example, to China or to the United States, again, because of the comparative weaker currency. The euro is a currency that derives its value from all the member states, not from one individual member state. So where Germany should have a higher valued currency, as long as they trade in the euro, they can sell on a, quote, weaker currency to make their products more competitive outside the European Union and then on par, on equal footing within the European Union. That's a major benefit to them. That's why it's worked for them for so long. It's also a benefit to the southern countries within the EU, places like Italy and Spain and Portugal, because these countries, which should have a weaker currency, actually have a comparatively stronger currency. And so what this would do for the residents of Spain, it would allow them to purchase exports from Germany or from the United States with a stronger euro than what they would otherwise be able to purchase than what they would otherwise be able to purchase if they had their own sovereign currency. And where this really plays out is in interest rates. And so that's the amount of money, basically the amount of currency that it would cost them to fund their debt and their deficit spending. And so places like Italy and Spain not only get to purchase things with an artificially higher valued currency, they also get to borrow at below market interest rates. And this is especially true in the past years where the European Central Bank has launched a major quantitative easing program and where in many member countries they've basically driven those rates to zero or negative. So on paper, this all looks fine. Producer countries like Germany benefit. Consumer countries like Italy also benefit. So what can be wrong with that? Well, there's no free lunch. You can't violate the principles of physics, just like you can't violate the principles of market-based economies. And so the system is destined to failure because what happens is, is that highly productive and very efficient and saver nations like Germany become larger and larger and larger exporters, and then debtor nations and consumer nations like Italy and Spain, they fall back behind, they become more inefficient, and they go into a death-debt spiral. Eventually, these weaker nations fall into depression and their economies deteriorate because they lose whatever productivity advantage they ever had, and they're unable to finance their debt even at the artificially strong currency that they're using and the artificially low interest rates they're receiving. 
they get to a point just like a homeowner or a consumer that rings up too much of a credit card bill they get to the point where they can't pay the principal nor can they even make the interest payment that's where the problem falls into countries like Germany because they have all this debt-based exports that have been going to these other member nations these debtor nations the cash flow eventually dries up because those debtor nations not only default on the principal, but they can't even keep up with interest payments and there's no money left to buy new products. And so the system eventually fails. It's really no different than any loan shark type economy. Now, whether that be a gambling organization or a drug dealer, the loan shark can only stay in business as long as it can keep its addicted customer base alive and well and able to not only pay back some of the loans but to continue to buy new products whether that be gambling or whether it be drugs but as that addicted customer base falls deeper and deeper into its death spiral it gets to the point where it can never pay back its debts nor does it continue to gamble or to buy illegal drugs because they hit rock bottom and they either go into rehab or they die now that's a dramatic way to say it, but it's also a very illustrative way to look at why a common currency won't work between unequal trade partners. That's why you need a system like NAFTA, where in North America there are three separate currencies. And those countries can issue more or less debt, and the value of their currencies go up or down as a result of that. It's just one example. You don't have that in the European Union. It's a flaw to the system. It will eventually cause the system to fail. Now, whether that failure is next year or in seven years or in 70 years, I have no way of knowing, and I'm not predicting gloom and doom. I just want you to be aware of this fact because it should guide your investment decisions and the way you arbitrage between different countries within Europe. Because even though I think the system is flawed and failing, it doesn't mean that I think that you shouldn't invest in Europe. For example, right now, I'm invested in an ETF in Switzerland, which doesn't happen to be in the European Union, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't invest in countries that are in the European Union. There are good, solid companies and good opportunities that can be taken advantage of. You just have to be careful and you have to be willing to try and time the market so that you can be prepared to move in and move out at the appropriate price point. So when it comes to the Brexit and the European Union, ignore the headlines, focus on the trade, and so that'll do it for today. Until our next episode, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.